You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to Revitalize Our Cities Now, the podcast series for entrepreneurs, real estate investors, developers, and anyone interested in urban revitalization. Our host is David Michael, a real estate lawyer with the Lipson Nielsen Law Firm. One of his areas of expertise is urban revitalization. David's guests will include some of the difference makers involved in all aspects of urban revitalization throughout Michigan. You'll listen as experts discuss acquiring land, redevelopment, and real estate and nonprofit law, immigration and economic redevelopment, private equity, venture capital, and more. Thanks for joining us. And here's your host, David Michael. Hello, I am attorney David Michael, and I'm here today to talk with Steve Tabachman. From 2003 to 2008, Steve served as the state representative from Michigan's 12th State House District in Detroit, home to one of the state's largest immigrant communities. He ended his term as the majority floor leader, the second ranking position in the Michigan House. After leaving the Michigan legislature, Steve has continued his work in community development, immigrant economic development, and other arenas through some very innovative nonprofit enterprises, including New Solutions Group, Global Detroit, and Welcoming Welcoming Economies Network. Welcome, Steve. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me. Steve, why don't you tell us a little bit about some of those organizations I just mentioned? Sure. So actually, New Solutions Group is a for-profit consulting firm, and um, I have two partners in that business. Um, but most of my work is uh, for Global Detroit, which is a nonprofit charitable organization. We're an economic development initiative um, that focuses on how to grow Southeast Michigan's economy through the inclusion of immigrant talent, entrepreneurship, and investment. Um, and so we're involved in a range of activities from talent retention to helping uh, immigrants in neighborhoods in the city of Detroit and everything in between. The third organization you mentioned, the Welcoming Economies Global Network, or We Global, um, when we launched in 2009 as Global Detroit, it was a project of the Detroit Regional Chamber with support from local foundations. And we looked all across the country for how other metros like Detroit were including immigrants in their economic development plans and strategies. And there wasn't a lot going on except for New York City and some of the coastal cities. And so uh, about four years after we launched in 2013, we brought 11 cities here to Detroit that were having some of the same conversations we were having. And um, uh, what grew out of that uh, over the next uh, year, year and a half, was a formalized network. Uh, So the Welcoming Economies Global Network, which is now uh, housed at a national partner called Welcoming America and run in partnership with Global Detroit, so we're paid to run this network, uh, is a collection of about 24 peers of Global Detroit. These are immigrant economic development initiatives from Syracuse to St. Louis. And we have uh, 24 great uh, Rust Belt cities in there. And we are all pioneering new strategies on how immigrants can be a part of our community and economic development strategies and plans in our local communities. Now, all three of those organizations are still, they're still doing their work. Mm -hmm. Okay. How do you, uh, how do you divvy up your time? Well, I, I, 
get a salary for Global Detroit. I mean, technically, um, New Solutions Group is a is a sort of like a paid staffing firm to Global Detroit. That's one way to think about it. I uh, we Global, so these are all different relationships. We Global is a project of Welcoming America. They pay Global Detroit to do the staffing for the We Global network. So that is a fee for service contract to Global Detroit again a five hundred one c three. And um, that you know, I I co direct the Michigan Political Leadership Program. That's kind of a weekend job. Um, I still work with some immigrant something to do in your spare time. Yeah, and then um, one of the projects at Global Detroit that I'm sure we'll get into uh, deals with um, uh, immigrant entrepreneurs in cities. And so we, out of our work at Global Detroit, ended up bringing in a, a partner out of Minneapolis St. Paul, known as the Neighborhood Development Center, and. So they run uh, really this incredible micro-enterprise neighborhood development uh, program. We replicated their model here in Detroit in, uh, in, in about year 20 of their existence. We found them. We, we, I wasn't the first person to find them. So the secretary of HUD, the national director of LISC, the head of the Ford Foundation, all these people had visited this organization and said, wow, this is the model for microenterprise. Um, well, I don't think we have to wait to get into that. I think okay. we're there. So okay. let's, let's just yeah. get into it. So that. they were in the, so they were, um, they, the model is a four pillared model and it starts with the, first of all, the mission, which is not just to grow great microenterprise businesses, but it's really to find the talent built from within low income communities of color. So they target, uh, uh, low-income communities of color. And one of the things that's important, I think, you know, when we talk about anything, whether it's the Opportunity Zone tax credit to how do we redevelop Detroit, you know, the realities in America, poverty is being more intensely concentrated in low-income communities of color. We've seen phenomenal growth, and I say that in a negative sense, uh, of the concentration of poverty within these communities that are predominantly communities of color. Are those also predominantly urban communities? Yes, predominantly urban communities. That's exactly right. Um, so what the Neighborhood Development Center has done in, in, in Minneapolis-St. Paul is they've developed a strategy on how entrepreneurship can impact and reverse that trend by um, looking for entrepreneurs within uh, those communities that already exist but have not been given the tools to build businesses that grow, that employ people, that come above ground, that enter the formal economy. Um, and and so they help do that. And they take a lot of elements that are very standard to any entrepreneurial program. So they have a basic business planning class that is a 11 session. How do you write a business plan? That's the number one. That's the entry point for most folks. But what they do is they heavily invest in how – that's the first pillar, by the way, business planning. They tweak that model of business planning such that um, when we launched TechTown here in Detroit, you know, we brought this great model of business planning from the Kauffman Foundation called Fast Track. You had to essentially drive onto Wayne State's campus, navigate parking, uh, and go to uh, – giant building that kind of occurred like a university campus. That is not an appealing um, opportunity for most entrepreneurs in Detroit neighborhoods. These are folks that are working by their bootstraps who may have no, no more than a high school education, um, 
formalized education is not and outside of their community and driving somewhere for it, not going to appeal to everyone. Also, that program only offered in English. Um, so what uh, the Neighborhood Development Center pioneered and what we've replicated here in Detroit through Prosperous Detroit is our local brand. It's a project of Southwest Economic Solutions, Southwest Solutions, Southwest Housing that Global Detroit helped initiate and partners with. So the program only works through partners. So rather than the resident going to a prosperous class at a prosperous office, they get the business planning by going to their local community organization, their church, their mosque. Um, Focus Hope is a partner. Uh, Cody Rouge Action Alliance is a partner. Grandmont Rosedale Development Corporation is a partner. These are the folks that host the trainings. Residents uh, come to that because that's a known and trusted. They do 11 sessions of business planning. Other tweaks to just this first core, which is the business planning element. They get 10 hours of one-on-one time with their trainer. When the the Fast Track program started at Tech Town, it was one hour. The trainers are paid for every hour of that one-on-one time they get. So there's an incentive for the trainer to train them. The classes are recruited in the neighborhood of folks in the neighborhood and the trainer is recruited to be someone who can communicate that. So if we're working in Southwest Detroit, it may be offered in Spanish, it may be offered in English, but most likely we're going to have a Latino trainer and we're going to get a trainer who has a life experience of not only being an entrepreneur, but also uh, of the income level that the people are around there. So that all works. All right. So that's just the training element. Second, are we still on the first pillar? That's the first pillar. Okay. That's the second pillar. pillar is uh, finance. So micro, uh, so character-based lending. Um, when we had Kaufman, there was no loan fund. And uh, and the reality is that these are called character-based lending. We average, so Prosperous Detroit today, which is on the ground, has now lent over a million dollars to, I don't know the number of businesses, but the average loan size is probably about $15,000. The average credit score is probably under 600. We don't necessarily require any collateral. I mean, we're obviously like every other micro enterprise fund. We're targeting people who can't walk into a bank and get a loan. Sure. But we are more willing to work, to lend on with no credit, no um, assets, no collateral. But you came to the class the trainer said, this is a good idea. This person is committed. Um, we, we provide those kinds of loans. So it is the riskiest uh, collateral. I mean, riskiest loans. and, and Because they have no collateral, basically. Yeah. And so when you come into the class, yeah, that is a core element. And I can tell you, you mentioned some of my resume. My resume starts 25 years ago with the Southwest Detroit Business Association, Mexican Town Community Development Corporation. We did microenterprise with the Small Business Administration. We did it, uh, I think, even in Spanish, but we had no loan product. And so you could write your business plan and you're a low-income person and you've got terrible credit. Um, if you're an immigrant, you, you don't even know what that means and you don't, you've not taken out a credit card. You, that, you, know, you, could have, you could have paid every bill on time for five years being in this country, but if you had not taken out a credit card, you got terrible credit. Um, and so... Um, we just didn't have anything to support them in the, in, in the next step of their dreams. So the credit element is the second element. Third element is technical assistance. So you, we, you can get the technical assistance through Prosperous Detroit. 
whether or not you went through the business planning course or not. Um, and you can also get a loan whether or not you went to the business planning course or not. Um, but that is where we bring in an expert. Maybe you have problems with marketing. Maybe you have problems with inventory control. Maybe you're not taking good records. It's a cash-based business and you're not recording everything. Maybe you need help hiring staff. Maybe you don't know um, uh, uh, whatever, how to, how to pay your taxes or how to get a permit from the city of Detroit. So there's that. We will help whatever it is. It's sometimes low bono. Sometimes it's pro bono. Um, and uh, that's the third element. The fourth element is real estate, we call it. Um, and basically the idea is that you, this is a community development model. So it is a model about helping people out of poverty, but it's also about changing a neighborhood. So it's really almost the same thing, right? Well, you could really help low income entrepreneurs and you could help them move to the suburbs where there's a larger, uh, per, per my, you know, per household, uh, expenditure dollar. So, so it's not the same thing. Right. It's not the same thing. So if you're cutting hair and, um, you know, you might realize that people can spend $20 a haircut here in Royal Oak, but people in Detroit are used to spending $15 a haircut. And so the idea is that, you know what, is there's a value to you being in Cody Rouge, to you being in Chadsey Condon, to you being in, um, uh, North End, uh, and to have a barbershop there that you not only are, um, first of all, you know, there's some opportunities there because they don't have the oper- the retail that other communities have. But second of all, um, it makes a difference to that community to be able to walk down the street and see an open barbershop owned by someone from the community. You know, that that is how you rebuild a community, how you revitalize a community. So those are the four elements. Uh, what Global Detroit did is we recognized from day one, 2009, with this idea of how do we include immigrants and create growth in our communities that urban neighborhoods really benefited from immigrants that in fact, not to get too wonky, but no major American city that lost population and most of them did lose population in the late 20th century um, has rebounded and created population growth without immigrant growth. And so recognizing that you think that New York has, you know, the story of New York, by the way, is not just Manhattan. The story of New York is really Queens and Brooklyn and the Bronx. You know, the Bronx, like you think back to Reagan, he went through the Bronx and Bronx is burning. Like those boroughs have become phenomenal places to live, actually fairly expensive places to live. Um, I I think of Brooklyn when you you describe that. Yeah, Williamsburg uh, or whatever, right? And so in many of those communities – uh, immigrants have been the story. They've had 3 million immigrants come to the city of New York, like more than the entire, you know, three times the entire population of Detroit. Um, so, um, no, but, but Philadelphia, which like Detroit was declining, declining, declining about 10 years ago, it started to see growth and you can explain all of the growth by immigrants. The number of immigrants in, in Philadelphia today is uh, the growth in immigrants is more than the actual population growth. If there had been no immigration, they would still continue to lose population. So recognizing that value, recognizing that immigrant entrepreneurs were revitalizing West Verner and Southwest Detroit, Mexican town. If you go to Conant Avenue, if you go to East Warren or West Warren and Dearborn, uh, you drive down these strips and it's just mind blowing. And if you haven't done that, um, it is, you know, oh, I have. Well, but right, but we're here in, in in Royal Oak, and you know, you look at Ferndale and Nine Mile, and 
in Ferndale or Main Street in Royal Oak. And I'm old enough, I think you're old enough to remember in the late 70s, early 80s, how sort of sleepy and decrepit those strips were. And so that kind of transformation is happening in some very low-income communities in Detroit. And at the core of that is is immigrants moving in or repopulation of those neighborhoods. And recognizing that, um, we went and recruited and created a, a solution to, to, to capitalize on that, and that's Prosperous Detroit. So you asked me, this is a long answer to uh, New Solutions Group. Five years after we create, helped create Prosperous De- Detroit, that was probably a two- or three-year endeavor of our time at Global Detroit, um, basically, Neighbor Development Center said to us, that's amazing. We'd been waiting to go to a second city for years. You made it happen. Um, let's talk about a third city. And so today, uh, I spent some time as New Solutions Group. We're in nine cities. Yeah, Houston just got added. Miami's about to come online. Philadelphia, Wilmington, Syracuse, Anchorage, St. Cloud, Minnesota, and then Minneapolis and Detroit are this network all implementing this neighborhood development center model, all in contract with NDC and New Solutions Group probably does five hours a month of work to help support the growth and development of that network. Wow, that's that's certainly a lot of cities. How many uh, how many individuals or or groups? And, and by the way, I, I guess I have a multifaceted question. I should here. have come with talking points. I could answer this question, but go ahead. <laughs> but then, what would I be doing here? Yeah. So how many folks or how many groups and and which is the avenue of connection with the Neighborhood Development Center are involved in, in the Detroit yeah. area? Oh, so just one. Prosperous um, is a member. So what, what when it became more than just Detroit and Minneapolis, it became a, a thing. It's called Build From Within Alliance. Um, it's in nine cities, as I mentioned. Um, and just prosperous. Now, pros, as I said, the basic business planning class doesn't happen at prosperous facilities. It happens within people's own neighborhood. And we've now trained literally a thousand Detroit residents have gone through this 11 session, 10 hour, one on one planning class. And they walk into a local trusted nonprofit organization in their community, whether it's Focus Hope, whether it's the Central Detroit Christian Development Corporation, whether it's Grandmont Rosedale Development Corporation, whether it's Sarah Metro, whether it's Cody Roosh, they they're that's where they've gone. That group has said, hey, we are training business owners in our neighborhood. Come to our business planning class. It is a prosperous trained course, but uh, they don't, they go to their local program. And that's a, that's a that's a key strategy to the success. So it's, does Prosperous as a group reach out to the neighborhoods, to the individuals in the neighborhoods? They or? reach out to a community partner who provides the training. Okay, for as you but were saying, when you get a loan, it's with Prosperous. Okay, so so Prosperous would reach out to, for example, a church or or some other neighborhood. Um, or organization, or development corporation, yeah. Okay, and you say about a thousand individuals. Have, more than a thousand. We we than crossed a thousand. thousand threshold about nine months ago. And so we're probably up to about twelve hundred. I'm guessing. Among those twelve thousand, uh, twelve hundred or twelve hundred. Sorry, uh, thanks. Um, 
How many started businesses? Ah, well, how many? I was I was going for the loans, the finance pillar of the the, the four yeah. pillars. Um, how much or how many loans have been distributed? And also, as part of that question, after you explain that, which I'm really curious about, um, I'm curious about how many of those loans have been repaid or are being repaid as agreed. So we're, I think we're close to a hundred loans, but we're south of that right now. Um, and the answer is that, um, you know, the default rate is extremely low, like as low as any, you know, nonprofit loan fund and even many bank funds. That being said, um, the capital that is being provided is not designed to return, uh, you know, it's not designed to return seven or 10% of interest. We, we do tend to charge around 7% for these loans. But um, it's designed to grow businesses and create jobs in neighborhoods. So when somebody's not making payments, that is an opportunity for technical assistance. That's an opportunity to have a conversation about, look, you have a major loan payment. Like, I presume you're not making money. This is all about you making money. What can we do to help you make money? Um, you make money and then we get repaid. So, um, that's the idea of character-based lending of microenterprise finance that, um, it's less about making money off the loan, although we do charge interest, um, and more about growing the businesses. So, um, well, both of that, those are kind so of integral this, to each other, yeah, right? So I don't have the stats though in front of me, um, in terms of who's current on the loan, the, the vast majority of I can I can comfortably say that a you know a significant majority, well over fifty percent, um, and probably close to seventy five to eighty five percent are current on their loans. Um, you know, don't have a problem, and the whatever it is, you know, zero five to twenty five percent that have challenges. Um, almost you know all of those are working it out and getting assistance and, and actively working on trying to make their business profitable so that they can live and they can pay the loans back. Um, but, uh, you know, the people that we're lending to, as I described, essentially no care, no collateral and essentially average credit score. But they do have character. Score, they have character. Yeah, they don't have collateral. Is, is, like, is like 600. And so these are folks that, you know, are just not – bank ready and and the largest loans are $25,000. And the idea is that, you know, you succeed with this loan as you grow, you're going to move into first of all, you're probably going to move into another nonprofit lender like Invest Detroit or Detroit Development Fund or there's a lot of other folks prosperous is there are some smaller ones that will do a five hundred and a thousand dollar. Well, let me ask you this, and, yeah. and you've kind of you've kind of touched on this a little bit. You've partially answered it. When somebody stops making payments momentarily or, or, or briefly, or, or they get behind in their payments, and it's you recognize it as an opportunity for technical assistance, do you find that that's you know, for lack of a better word off the top of my head, a teachable moment and that the um, borrowers actually learn an important skill that, that to that point they hadn't had an opportunity to learn. Absolutely. I mean, I, I don't think it's normal for um, a business owner to ask for help. Um, you know, the uh, particularly, I, I mean, we can get into some systemic racism issues, but low-income people of color, um, 
to ask for help. Um, and so when a business is failing, um, you know, people don't tend to, to reach outward and try to solve it. They tend to go it, retreat inward. And, um, and so uh, absolutely, like, you know, oftentimes they can't see what is not working, right? And that's why it's not working. If they could see it, they would address it and they'd it'd be working, they'd be making money. Um, so, and, and uh, you know, we have to recognize that we're, we're, we are targeting communities and entrepreneurs who um, statistically, because they have um, the odds stacked against them, they don't have other capital reserves to draw from. They're working in neighborhoods where there are lower income per household, you know, expenditure dollars because, uh, that may have significant blight and other things that drive customers away that might be dealing, you know, with crime, that might be dealing with um, uh, uh, consumer expenditure patterns that, you know, Detroiters have this incredible um, mentality of buying outside of the city uh, rather than buying locally. Um, so they have all these things that are going on. And um, you're absolutely right. Like failure to pay becomes this tremendous like opportunity moment. I mean, I'm going to, you mentioned that I'm a, I was a politician and uh, I train a lot of politicians because uh, I run a bipartisan political leadership program. And I say, when you're on, when you're running you get for office. Yet another thing you do in right, your spare time. When I'm running, when you run for office and you go to a voter's door and they say, hey, I have a problem. You know, some people would want to hide from that. Like, oh my God, they're going to ask me to help with their unemployment benefits. They're going to ask me in Detroit to get this house torn down. Or they're going to ask me that they have an immigration problem. Or they're going to ask me that they have a cousin who has a criminal justice problem or their kid is struggling in school, whatever. And like, what am I going to do? Right. Most people would like, oh, I don't want them to ask me for help. Um, I tell politicians, people are running for office all the time, like, are you kidding me? Like that is that is like shooting fish in a barrel. They are giving you a gift. They're saying, hey, you're running to represent me. You're running to provide me services. I'm going to tell you a service you can provide me. I'm going to tell you a problem I have. And frankly, like the bar is so low, the expectation of elected officials is so low that if you just simply – do a little bit of research about what this person needs and call them back and say, you know, here's the number to call to get your unemployment back. I can't promise a result, but I'll try to help, you know, and here's like, it's phenomenal. Well, so I, I have, so okay. when a business is failing, when you come and you sort of say, hey, you haven't made your payments, but I don't, I'm not here to shut you down. I'm not here to tell you you're bad. I'm not here to say, hey, give me the money. I'm here to figure out how you win and I win and you win when you make more money. So why aren't we making money? You know, that can be uh, a real eye opener. Uh, and it's rare that any business, uh, that that's their trajectory, right? It's like, it's like businesses fail. I don't know what the percentage of, but uh, a significant, if not a majority of businesses fail within so many years of starting. And the reality is once you hit, a roadblock, every, there's nobody there who's helping you. There's just people there asking for money for, you know, repayment of their loans or, or being upset with you. And, and we're putting someone in their corner that's there to say, um, let's 
let me, let me, you know, let us look at what's not working. Like, you know, let's go through everything. Maybe you're not charging enough. Maybe you're not uh, open long enough hours. Maybe the revenue, maybe you're, you know, you're, you got the wrong marketing strategy. Maybe, you know, maybe, or maybe this is, this is done. <laughs> this isn't going to work. Let's Conversely, successful businesses always have that sort of partner or, or background. Any successful business will have either somebody at the helm who, who went to school, went to a good university, learned business skills, interned at a good business, or maybe came from a family of people who run businesses. So they have that background. And so what we're talking about in revitalizing, especially urban centers, is taking communities that don't have the great American university background don't come from a family of American business people that don't have well, the personal connections, yeah. and you're kind of adding that to the mix. Yeah, and I think you said something about American, um, which is really important. Um, I'm going to get in a lot of trouble. I'm going to get on some skinny branches given <laughs> all our sensitivities about race. But I read a really brilliant article recently about um, – that when we had segregation, and obviously segregation is a horrible thing. I'm not, please don't take a shred that like segregation is a good thing. But when African Americans could not consume at white owned establishments, they had to consume at African American establishments. And therefore, there was a plethora of business owners as a percentage of the African American community, just like in the white community. And um, as we destroyed, you know, Black Bottom and other African American hubs, we destroyed Black entrepreneurship in many ways. So, to your point, um, I think there's there is actually tremendous entrepreneurial, and that's the whole. It's called build from within because that talent exists, that entrepreneurial spirit exists within every community. It's clearly within immigrant communities. There's tons of stats about how immigrants start businesses and are more likely to be self-employed at, at, at geometric rates to uh, U.S.-born uh, and non-immigrants in this country. But um, but that's also true in the African-American community, you know, that there's tremendous entrepreneurs. But you said, you know, that they don't have uh, access to the American business supports or the American business. So, there's an entire, well, well, frankly, I there's mean, an underground of, economy that goes on here. There are, you know, entrepreneurial teens who don't have capital behind them, don't have opportunities to take over their parents' business and turn to drug selling, right? And and they're entrepreneurs in certain ways. Sure. And so this is about capturing, building from within, capturing that talent, that entrepreneurial spirit that exists in every neighborhood rural and urban in America and giving it the opportunity to blossom as part of the formal American economy. And, um, you know, and, and so many people of like, I live in a fairly low income neighborhood. I live in Southwest Detroit and, um, people, um, they don't, they don't, they wouldn't use the word entrepreneur, but they are self-employed. They lay brick, they cut lawns. They cut hair. Um, they may not have a shingle and a and a thing on Main Street, um, but they've been they own a home or they've been paying rent. They've been, you know, putting their kids into college. They've been doing all these different things 
we just don't call them entrepreneurs and we don't always call them businesses. And this is about taking that success that exists and helping it flourish so that urban entrepreneurs in these very distressed neighborhoods, these concentrated low-income communities of color, um, do more than right now. A lot of those people are just subsiding on what they're doing and we want them to thrive and we want them to become you know, middle class and to pursue the American dream. Now, I'm going to ask you a question about what kind of success Prosperous Detroit has seen in partnership with the um, uh, NDC or the Neighborhood Development Center. But uh, first, I have to tell a little story for, for the benefit of people that are listening to this podcast. When you were talking about training politicians, uh, I, I actually worked on one or two of, of your um, statehouse campaigns. And I remember that if it, if it wasn't my specific job, it was somebody else's specific job when we were going door to door with you to write down the uh, contact information for the people that were asking for specific items of help sure. and to make sure that that was followed up on and that you had at least some kind of answer for everybody that asked you for some kind of help or, or offered a suggestion about how you could improve the neighborhood. Because to be fair, a lot of people weren't, weren't asking for help for themselves personally, but were just saying, well, you know what would really help is if we could get the trash picked up more regularly right. or something along those lines. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's um, people go into politics and they think it's about them. It's not about you. It's about, it's about service. It's about the people you're going to serve. And well, some so, people think politics is about that, himself or herself. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and the first, uh, the first rule is that you're there to represent a community and that you're there. I, I just figured they hired me to handle whatever their problem was. Um, I created a district office, um, and, I, and that's probably true for any business owner too. You know, you're there to serve your customer and you may think that your technology solution, your app or your innovation, your hack, you know, or your product is the greatest thing ever and you love it and you want to consume it and you think it's great. But the reality is that ultimately every business is there to service the customers and provide them what they want. Now, sometimes you may be the one in a million that you actually have something new that they don't know they want and you're going to like have to help educate them. But most businesses are providing like people go out to eat at a restaurant, right? All those restaurants are entrepreneurs. They have, they know what they want as a customer. You know, you're not serving them some kind of food experience that they've never had or envisioned before. Most people are not that adventurous with their cuisine. They know what they want. And, and so um, even if you're creating a new app, you know, it's that ultimately you think you have this great idea for an app. The reality is that that, that, that person wants something and that's who you're serving. Well, that, and that's kind of the essence of being a lawyer. Oh, my uh, gosh, yes. Yeah, it's not – people think of lawyers as simply providing legal advice. One of the things that – I mean I'll admit this. When I was in law school – and by the way, Steve was one of my law school professors, believe it or not. So when he re raises the idea about being old, I'll just say, hey, Steve was my professor. But um, one of the things that I learned in law school and, and one of the things that really helped me embrace the profession of – being an attorney, of lawyering, is that people come to you, they, they want your legal expertise, but you have an obligation to counsel them 
in other related areas as well, because it's not necessarily the case that what they think they need you to do as a lawyer is what they really want. I learned I learned a lesson early in my legal career where I got what I believe to be the best possible outcome for a client. As it turned out, it wasn't what the client wanted at all. It was a great outcome, but it wasn't necessarily right. what he wanted. So you really have to listen to people. You really have to get the heart of what it is they need, what you can do for them in those terms, and, and, and what it is they're actually looking for. Absolutely. So back to my question yes. about what kind of success, and I'm not even looking for necessarily hard statistics here, but how would you describe the success that Prosperous Detroit and Neighborhood Development Center has had in the metro Detroit region? Um, so first of all, it's been most – we're. Prosperous is just about to start doing some lending in Pontiac, which is phenomenal. But, Excellent. Um, but it's but it's been uh, mostly in Detroit. Um, you, you, we have an annual event. I wish I knew the day. I think it's May second, um, but in early May, uh, it'll be the fifth or sixth annual celebration, and you'll there will be a slew of entrepreneurs. By the way, ninety percent of those entrepreneurs are black and Latino. Um, and those folks will tell you that um, th- their whole lives, I mean, their whole dreams its um, have come to them through this opportunity um, that they either had a business that was struggling um, and they didn't know – and they, they did it on the side and and uh, they were struggling and now they're, they're making real income or they went from zero to 60 and uh, – we don't have mega companies. We don't have companies that have – I don't think we have a prosperous company that we've touched with like 250 employees or anything like that at this stage. But but in – by the way, in, in Minneapolis, St. Paul, they do. But um, but that's 25 years into their history, right? Um, but they will uh, almost to a T say uh, never even occurred to me that I could do this full time or that um, someone be, helped me get to this other level. Um, this event in May, is that a Prosperous Detroit event? It is. It, it's it, their annual Who event. should be interested in that event? Um, anybody who wants to just celebrate entrepreneurship in low-income communities of color in the city of Detroit. Then, How do people find out more about attending? Uh, I think it's prosperousdetroit.org. So just Google Prosperous Detroit. Prosperous, by the way, it's as if Prince uh, – wrote the site. So it's Prosper, P-R-O-S-P-E-R-U-S, uh, Detroit. So it's not uh, the word prosperous. I didn't name it, by the way. So Well, who did name it? Some marketing person. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully they're not providing pro bono marketing to our entrepreneurs in the city of Detroit. Okay, here's one of my favorite questions to ask people that are working in the area of urban development. What would you like to see happen in the near future, either from government or something that you could become involved in personally or through your organizations? Uh, A lot of times I think about government programs or or government incentives. But what, what do you think that local government or local organizations could do to dramatically impact the urban economic redevelopment landscape? I don't think you're going to love my answer, but um, (laughs) I've spent 25 years in community economic development about, which at the core 
is about how to get the private sector market forces to work within urban environments because the idea that urban environments somehow have a market disruption that um, so for me um, first of all I think education is super important and so I think if, if I had one thing that I could fix in the city of Detroit maybe it's because I'm a parent and I have two kids in the city of Detroit it would be um, urban education and when I think about urban education it's not really a magic bullet um, but we have become this whole thing of being so partisan and so politicized is that we have created gridlock. It should not be hard to unify around the fact that the Detroit public school system on many national reports and scores actually became the worst large city public school system in the country, right? We should all, that's a fact. So we should wow. all be fairly united that we want to see that change. And you would think that when and, and first of all, I do think people are united on the fact that they want to see that change. And we the are prob- kind of seeing that across the country, right? The right. school school teacher strikes and right. Denver. But that's the point is that like so we're united that we think education's important, but we're so stuck at solving it, right? And so um I'm listening to and I'm a clearly a Democrat and listening to Democrats talk about we got to pay teachers more and I'm trying to think like what is the what is the problem um, on the other side and and uh, yeah. um, and and the reality is that you know we just you know that if, I don't know if it's people think that unions have gouged people if they had no war stories about how teachers didn't work or, or what it is we ought to if, if people could just come together uh, and realize that, like, we need it, it's going to take all hands on deck to not only. And here's the other thing I'm not only concerned about Detroit public schools, I grew up in Farmington Hills. I looked at the test scores for the schools that I went to, I was shocked at uh, how Farmington Hills has become a very and it's not a po- poke at Farmington Hills. Governor Whitmer said it this state is a bottom 10 state in, in several education metrics. And that ought to be a clarion call, and we ought to be working together. And charter schools is no matter magic bullet, nor are they a demon. There's like no, there's no. We ought to be working together to make this happen. Clearly, an opportunity for improvement, Steve. Thank you so much for being our guest today. And people can reach you not just through um, Prosperous Detroit, but also no, globaldetroit.com or uh, Steve at globaldetroit.com. Those are the ways to reach me. Perfect. And don't forget Prosperous Detroit's event in May. Google it, everyone. This podcast is produced by Lips and Nielsen PC, attorneys and counselors. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Revitalize Our Cities Now. If you have a topic you would like us to discuss or questions about the show, you can email us at dmichael at lipsonnielsen.com. Make sure you join us again for our next episode when we talk with another difference maker helping to revitalize our cities now. Now.